It is good to be with you. Again, uh, for those of you who maybe missed it uh, earlier, uh, Nikki and I, uh, my bride Nikki, uh, and I'll, Nikki Albello, and I have to remember my last name, <laughs> uh, are here with you. We are two of your uh, uh, emissaries with Foursquare Missions International. And Foursquare Missions, what an emissary is, is a domestically based, globally assigned worker. And our focal point uh, of what we get to do, uh, we are two of your supported workers here, uh, is Eastern and Southern Africa. We work leadership development, church multiplication, and national church development in those 26 nations from Sudan all the way down around South Africa up through Angola, all the way through Rwanda and Burundi. Those are the places, in fact, the shirt that I'm wearing is from Rwanda. I was just there just a couple months ago, uh, actually a month and a half ago I was there, uh, two months ago we were there. And I also work with Foursquare Disaster Relief and we get to bring a holistic gospel response to all kinds of difficult situations. And uh, one of those places that we got to do uh, things in that uh, Pastor Aaron got to see and be a part of was in the Kurundu region of Burundi. And uh, that's a northern region of Burundi. And they had been experiencing uh, a drought on top of the COVID challenge. How many have experienced some challenges with COVID? Yeah? Anyone? Yeah. And um, it's taken places that are already feeling food insecurity and pushed them all the way to the brink. But because of churches like East Hill and others who supported Foursquare Disaster Relief and the work that we do, uh, Bishop Sabimana had called, he's the national leader of Foursquare Burundi, and most nations declare their economic uh, wealth by GDP, gross domestic product per capita, right? Say yes. Um, and so uh, they, they, they do that, and, and uh, one of the things that you find out is like the U.S. in 2018, it was like about uh, 65, 55, $65,000, somewhere in that range. Mexico was like 10, 9 to 12,000. Burundi is $254, right? So less than a dollar a day. And, and Bishop Sabimana called and said, hey, can you help? Can you help? And because of churches like East Hill, we were able to say, yes, we, we can help. We can send food. He says, no, no, don't, don't just send food. Because if you send food in three months, we're going to need more food. But send us seed. So when the rains come, and they will come, we will be able to be self-sustaining. And so we went and got a chance to go in, into the village and, and see the impact three, four months later of the seed. And this uh, next picture, they'll put it up there for you, of us entering into the community. We tried to enter into the community, and they had blocked off the road. All of the people were gathered there, and they're literally singing a song. And the song translates, we serve the living God. He remembered us and brought us seed. Hey, I can't tell you how absolutely destroyed I was walking in hearing that song. Humbled, because that's not my song. Foursquare, that's your song. That's your song because you supported what was going on in that place. And it has been huge there. And, and the church is exploding because they didn't just give the seed out to church members. They gave the seed out to Muslims, to animists, and to Christians alike. And now the church is exploding with, and they'll put the picture of the church up there next, is it's exploding with former Muslims, former animists, and, and, former, uh, and, and now new Christians who are worshiping the living God. Isn't that awesome? whole new set of problems they're dealing with. So that was Burundi. And then Rwanda, I love that you are, that we as a church family are, are working with Africa New Life. In fact, in March, I will be there uh, working, teaching, God willing, at the African College of Theology, which is part of Africa New Life, because in 2018, Rwanda closed down over 7,000 churches and denom uh, churches denom cross denominational lines. Over 7,000 churches closed. And he did that because of uh, building issues. And they also said, you know what? Your pastors need to have training. They need to have theological training. And your churches not only need to be a building, a building gathering place, but they need to add to the infrastructure of the cities in which they're placed. And so we looked at that and we're like, there's no way these churches are going to be able to do this. They don't have a snowball's chance in Tahiti of being able to respond to the challenges that the government is placing on them. And so we as a Foursquare family came together, Pastor Coco, Pastor Keith and lots of other Foursquare pastors, and we said, no, not on our watch. That's not going to happen. And so we responded to help the Foursquare church. Foursquare has 40 
uh, Foursquare churches in Rwanda. 17 of them got closed. So far, we have reopened 13 of those churches. Isn't that awesome? All because of you, still. And other churches like you, in fact, put that church picture up of uh, me in Rwanda. This is the City Light Foursquare Church on the left. It's the, there you go. And in that church service, there were two Supreme Court justices from the nation of Rwanda. And the chief of Air Force from the nation of Rwanda was in that service as well. Bishop Fidel Masengo leads that church. And the uh, next picture of uh, the one I sent this morning uh, has me and there's Bishop Fidel Masengo, the national leader of Foursquare Rwanda. And then on the right is Johnson. Johnson is the director of the African College of Theology that is run by Africa New Life that we get the opportunity to partner with. So I am absolutely thrilled to see what we are doing in Huye. Yeah? Yeah, so good. So good. Uh, it's been awesome uh, to be able to see what I'm getting to see in these days, and it has been uh, dizzying at times in all the different contexts that the Lord is, is drawing us into. And, and in that dizzying, it, it reminded me of a time when I really got disoriented, really experienced. Anyone really been disoriented, turned around before? I, I remember this. It brought me back to our, our first year of marriage. Um, in our first year of marriage, we were doing our, our first PCS move, a permanent change of station, and we were moving from here to, 20, uh, to uh, Quantico, Virginia, and we decided to take the southern route, and Nikki said, hey, we can stop by at Pismo Beach, visit my grandpa, and I can show you boogie boarding, and I'm like, what? What is that? Anybody know what boogie boarding is? Yeah, it's like you take an extra wide, imagine a surfboard that's like twice as wide and like a quarter of the length. And it, that's what you, you ride, and you, you ride a wave with that thing, uh, apparently. And uh, Nikki, Nikki said, oh, I'll teach you how. No problem at all. Just trust me. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm the dutiful first-year husband. I'm like, yeah, okay. Show me. Show me how. And I'm watching her, and, and she's saying, okay, all you do is you take the board and you walk out like this. And she's talking with me this way so I can hear. And as soon as she turns her mouth and continues talking, I can't hear a thing she's saying. So now I'm leaning over with my, and I'm holding the board like this, and the waves are coming at me like this. And I lean over to try and hear what she's saying. She's like, and you just do that. And she's off on her way. And I'm like, what? And I turn around because I wasn't paying attention to the waves just in time to see this huge wave just wham, just trash me. And I mean, and that one was followed by two more and rolled me over. I, I was rolling so bad I had no, I'm crawling for the surface trying to find the air somewhere in the midst of it because it's just like wave after wave after wave. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to drown. I'm going to go see Jesus right now. And, and I, I finally, the wave hits me, and I bounce off the bottom of, I'm like, this is the bottom of the ocean. I'm at the bottom of the ocean, only to realize I'm in three feet of water. <laughs> I'm drowning in three feet of water. And I, I stand up, and I've, I've got like seaweed in my ears, sand all over my face, and I look over to find my bride, and I'm you know, pulling the sand and seawater out of my eyes, and Nikki's laughing hysterically. She's like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Are you okay? Um, and and I, I learned a few things that day. Num number one, don't ask Nikki to show you how to boogie board. I was the guinea pig. Uh, she's now shown the kids. Kids, you owe me. I'm just going to say she learned how to teach on my, my, my dime, my lungs. Just saying. Um, not that I don't have a hard time remembering or forgiving those things and forgetting them. No, not at all. Um, but the other thing I learned is that it, it's possible to nearly drown in three feet of water. Um, and to be so turned around, to get so dis... Have you ever been there? You ever experienced that before? Maybe not in three... You probably haven't because you're smarter like, dude, stand up. Um, and don't take your eyes off the ocean. Um, but it's easy in life, isn't it? To find yourself getting swept away in currents. Currents of whatever, be it a social media, be it, a, be it finding the right, the next right clothing or the next right style, the next Apple product, the next I this or tech that or the next like pair of shoes or golf club or to, to, uh, 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 tools <laughs> or the next accessories. They're not jewelry. I'm accessorizing, honey. Yeah. Have I stepped on everybody's precious thing yet? Have I missed one? What have I missed? 
backpacking gear, camping gear, you name it, whatever it is. That one was for you, Ashley. Uh, It's easy to find yourself getting swept away in things, isn't it? And especially in our culture, our culture is so inundated with more. More of getting more of this or more of that. The whole get what you can, can what you get, and protect your can. That's kind of the mantra of our, of our culture, isn't it? And it's so easy to find ourselves in that place. And that's the reason why Keith has got us, why PK has got us starting a series today. He asked me to kick off this series. Uh, and we simply titled the series, More. Like, how do we deal with the onslaught and the pressure of more that we constantly feel? Especially in the season that we're entering into with Black Friday coming upon us and all of the pressure to get the rest deal, get the nice thing, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Anyone feel that pressure? Is it just me? Okay, it's just me. Awesome. I'm just preaching to myself today. Before the craziness of all of this, PK wanted us to be able to get some, to gain some reference points so that we could gain a footing, an orientation, so that we could learn how to navigate these seasons and and keep our eyes on those reference points to enable us to deal with the pressures that we're saturated in in our culture, so that we can not just endure it and survive it, but ultimately that we could learn how to thrive in the midst of the places where we find ourselves, regardless of the season that you find yourself in, whether you're a student, whether you're single, whether you're married, have parents, grandparenting, whatever the season is, God has a purpose and a destiny for your life, and it is not for you to hang on, but it is for you to experience life to the full. Can I get an amen? That's his desire for us. The challenge is, how do we do it in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of the the pressures and the tide and the, the waves that hit us? And the starting point, honestly, is to learn to see and to recognize that there is that pressure. And that that pressure, that that pressure is not just happenstance, but that there is a sinister purpose behind that pressure. Maybe I can illustrate it this way, uh, and I'm going to date myself with this, but anyone remember the movie Matrix? Yeah, okay. All right. Last service, there was like two people. I'm like, really? Okay. You remember the scene where Matrix, Lawrence Fishburne plays, uh, plays Morpheus and, and Keanu Reeves, yo dude, uh, plays, uh, plays uh, um, Neo. And you remember the red pill, blue pill scene? You know what I'm talking about? They'll put the picture up on the screen. He's sitting at the chair and, and he, he comes in, that dialogue. I love the dialogue that he goes there. He says, let me tell you why, sorry. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because, that hurts my shoulders. I don't know how Lawrence Fishburne did that. You're here because you know something. What you know, you can't explain, but you feel it. You have felt it your entire life. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. It is this feeling that brought you to me. It is the matrix. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Even now in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window, when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell, taste, or touch, a prison for your mind. You remember that scene? Like viscerally, right? And that scene, I remember when the movie hit, the, we were in the Marine Corps when it hit, and I remember like it grabbed, it gripped our culture's attention. And it was because it resonated with something. There was something deep inside of us that we all couldn't put language to, but all of a sudden they voiced it. Hollywood visualized it for us, and we were like, wow, that, that's kind of what we're, we're feeling. And the reason why it resonated with us is because it speaks to an aspect of deep biblical truth. Jesus made the same statement, letting us know that there is more in the world going on than meets the eye. There's more to what we see and experience every single day. Some of you are like, okay, now you've taken Matrix way too far. No, no, no. I'm not crazy. Like Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what it was about. Jesus saying, look, there is a kingdom that really matters, and it is not what you see around you. You need to recognize there's a reason why you feel the pressures that you do, the waves that you do. 
that there is a sinister adversary who's not out to just annoy you. Probably one of the worst lies that the enemy could perpetrate on us is that he is this harmless little annoying devil that's there just to annoy you. He is not there to annoy you. He is there to kill, steal, and destroy everything of purpose and destiny in your life. That's Paul. So you're like, wow, you're getting intense. I'm getting intense because of the weight of what it is that God is speaking to us. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6. You don't wage against flesh and blood. That, that's not, even though you might want to strangle the person in the cubicle next to you, that's not where the battle is. There's principalities, powers, wicked spirits in heavenly realms. Paul, uh, Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Your enemy, the devil, stalks about like a roaring lion. John makes the comment, John the Beloved, in 1 John chapter 2. He says, look, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone does, the, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, translation, the pursuit for more. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. See, John the Beloved is describing the challenge that we all face and feel, and that's why it is crucial. If we want to find victory and purpose and the capacity to live with that kind of purpose in life, then we absolutely need to get clear on how we find reference points so that we can stay stable when the waves come. Not if. Notice I didn't say if. <laughs> when they come. So where do we go? What's the starting point? Well, I love the way Jesus was constantly, patiently pulling us in to helping reorient us to, to what is really going on around us. Even today, he speaks to this 2,000 years ago, and I want to take you to a particular place in the text where he gives us practical handles for you and me about how it is we can live, work, walk with clarity in the midst of challenge, in the midst of the more that we're surrounded with. What am I talking about? Well, if you've got a Bible, open it up with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Gospel of Luke 18, and while you're turning there, let me set the scene. This is kind of a Morpheus kind of moment where Jesus encounters some people, and he's in the process of helping them reorient, reorient to what's really going on, blue pill, red pill. You get the choice, but I'm simply going to tell you what is true. And in this moment, in Luke's gospel, and you can find this story in Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, it's one of the few stories that you find in all three synoptic gospels. And in this place, Jesus, in Luke's gospel, it's about two-thirds of the way. So this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to eventually will become the death nail to the adversary on what happens on the mount called Calvary. Can I get an amen? And as he's walking there, he's reorienting the disciples, and he talks to a, a perspective of, of what persistence looks like, and then he gives a picture of humility and what that looks like and who's valued in the kingdom. And then Jesus encounters a very focused, a very driven young man. And in the midst of that conversation, we find some insight about how you and I can live in the midst of the challenges we find. Let's pick it up. Luke 18, beginning at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Notice Jesus' response, right? He answers the question with what? A question. I love that about majesty. You notice he never asks questions for information, right? He's always got some kind of high-speed Smurf ninja where he's moving a particular way. Watch where he goes. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder or steal, give false testimony, honor your father and mother. <laughs> and the guy answers, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And I just have to imagine everyone around is like, yeah, right, sure. <laughs> when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. In fact, Mark's gospel at that particular point, Mark's version of it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, what a statement. The dude's not even seeing the depth of his delusion, and Jesus looks at him and loves him. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, look, what's impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all that we had to follow you. I love this. Peter instantly misses the whole point of the conversation. He's like, look, Jesus, we're good. Look at us. And Jesus, I got to imagine him going, oy vey. Verse 29, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. How do we develop the right set of eyes? How do we learn to see and live and walk and work with clarity? Well, notice what Jesus does first. He returns the guy's question with a question. It tells us, number one, the very first thing we need to do is to choose to stay curious. To stay curious. What do I mean by that? Well, notice the rich young ruler doesn't ask for information. He's asking for affirmation. Notice that in the text. Go back to the text of what what he says. His question is more about, look what I've done, Jesus, than it is really about what's going on in my life. Why is my life not working? That's really the question he's asking. Why, is not, why, why aren't things adding up the way that they're supposed to? Why is the stuff, the bottom, dropping out regularly in my life? And notice he's not asking that question. He's saying, look at all of what I'm doing, Jesus. Look at what I'm doing. And this is why Jesus does what he does. The whole interaction, good teacher, what must I do to gain or inherit eternal life? Implication, the first problem is you can't earn it. His whole premise is based off of what can I do? How can I muster the strength? You know, one of the things I'm learning in this season is the value of questions, especially parenting young adults. Now, it's possible that I needed to have learned this 10 years ago, but I'm learning it now because I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. I'm learning. I'm in the process. Who's there with me? Come on. Who's on the slow bus? Come on. Yeah, right? Jesus loves us. Absolutely. And one of the things I'm learning is the value of asking questions. Not leading questions. I used to be the master at that, but I'm in recovery of that as well. But asking real questions to begin to understand where I am. What's the wake that I'm leaving in the relationships that I'm in? Real questions help me check reference points. The only way to identify where you are in any type of scenario is to find reference points and begin to use the reference points to help you figure out where you are. And the only way you can do that is to ask questions. And Jesus confronts the guy and says, look, you've stopped asking questions. You've made conclusions. Will you be willing to really deal with what's there? And the guy in the story is trying to use his efforts as a reference point, and that's why Jesus responds to him. He says, why do you call me good? In other words, true goodness is the prerogative of God. So if you're calling me good, then you're really saying something else about who I am, my deity. If, in fact, I'm just a teacher, then you shouldn't be calling me good. He's like, look, here's the deal. You're not being, are you willing to be logically consistent with what you're really asking? Because if you are, then there's a decision that needs to be made. If I am, since I am good teacher, then are you willing to really take the lesson that's at hand? Let me ask you, how are you doing at asking questions? What's your level of curiosity like in your marriage, in your relationships? In your walk with Jesus, are you asking questions about who he is and who he called you to be. See, when we stop asking questions, we cease being able to understand who he's called us to be and where he's drawing us towards. It's those moments where we really get to ask those questions that we really begin to learn. It, it, and and the, the, the rich young ruler in this moment, he's not asking for information. He's asking for affirmation. It's like your spouse asking you, do I look, does this outfit look good on me? You know what I've learned? Exactly. You know what I've learned after 26 years of marriage? Come on, somebody. Uh, You know what I've learned? I've learned that moment, she's not asking for information. She's asking for affirmation. 
Translation, do I still look hot? Answer, yes, you do. Oh, come on, somebody. Okay, service is over. No, just kidding. Just kidding. It's impossible to see when we don't ask questions. Second thing, notice where Jesus takes him. He takes him right to the focal point of what it is that the man's chasing. The things that he really loves because it's his source of power. What is the second thing? Not only do we need to stay curious, but secondly, learn to pay attention to your loves. Learn to pay attention to the things that you really love doing. Jesus takes him to the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Do you, are you doing these things? And Mark's gospel says that he looked at the man and loved him because he says he ignores the reality. And the reality is he hasn't kept all those commandments. No one can because that wasn't the purpose of the commandments. The whole purpose, Paul tells us in Galatians, was that the law was supposed to point us to the only way that we can find rightness and fullness in life, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. And the man's like, no, 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 I've, I've, I've done it all. I've managed it all. And, and Mark's gospel says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm. I love that Jesus looks at him in his delusion and loves him. You know, that's the same thing that he does for us. I, I know I'm in these places where the Lord will put his finger on a place in my life and the immediate sense that I will have after the conviction is almost the enemy almost like immediately rushes in and starts bringing shame and condemnation. And then I try to manage all of what's going on and Jesus looks at me with all of my managing and trying to keep the beach balls below the surface and he doesn't judge me in that moment. He loves me. Paul says it this way, it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. It's not God coming like this going, oh, I oughta. No. It's God saying, finally, son, daughter, will you trust me? Will you walk with me? Will you let me lead you to a new place? See, this is what John was getting at in 1 John. He's saying you need to pay attention to your appetites. Because even the things that we love doing, that we find fulfillment, even those can become, if we're not careful, can become an idol that we worship. Man, for me in this season, I've been so confronted with that reality. I love what I get to do. I love the fact that I get to work alongside uh, national leaders of, of Foursquare movements in nations. I'm like, God, why are you using me? I, ah, there's, and I'm overwhelmed by his goodness and his grace. He's like, son, I'm not using you because I have to. I'm using you because I choose to. And I walk into these moments and, and, and I'm, I, I get to do this and I, I love getting to do all the things that I get to do, but I find sometimes that I get so focused and so energized on what I'm doing that it all becomes about that and the next that and the next one and the next one. And then I get to do this one and I got to do this one. And so I just start stepping across people to get from one thing to the next. And I start, I start like getting so fixated on these things that I bring an anxiety with me into situations. And Nikki's, Nikki's like, hey, hun, you ever notice that you, you, you're, you're bringing an energy with you into the room sometimes? I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's your lens. No, but seriously, true story. I'd love to tell you that this was not true. You can ask her. You can ask the kids. They'll tell you. And so I started having questions with the kids because I'm like, this is, this is nutty. This is her radar now. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. No, your issues, not mine. I'm just after what the Lord's asked me to be about. Right? <laughs> I wish you could all heard that in the front row. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was awesome. And so I'm in this, in this place and realizing the Lord's been drawing me back to the place of saying, son, I love how passionate you are but be careful that you're not making it about that instead of about me. How clear are you on the things that God's asked you to be about? And how willing are you to release them into his hands? See, the reality is the, these moments are the moments where we get to operate by faith. Faith. How does the author of Hebrews describe and define faith? It's the substance of things 
hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so the challenge is for us to operate in the opposite way of what our culture would tell us to. See, honestly, 100% true. Can we get real? Because we haven't been real up to this point. Um, here's, Here's what this is really about. So one of the ways in which we build the muscle of faith, every time we get the opportunity to return the tithe and give offerings, you know what that is? It's a trip to the gymnasium where we lift the muscle that says, God, I'm going to choose to trust you with that which is here because faith is the substance of what I'm hoping for, the evidence of what maybe doesn't make sense on paper, but I'm going to choose to trust and declare your lordship and watch what you do. And it is so easy for our culture to want to push us towards the slavery, towards status of what we get, of what we get to experience and do this and do that. And, and the moment that we start serving that, it becomes an idol. So how clear are you on your passions, on what it is that God's invited you to? And I love Jesus the way he gives us the solution. In the story with the rich young ruler, Jesus operates with the guy and confronts him right at the point. It says, one thing you lack. He loves him enough to ask him the tough question. Are you willing to trust me with the thing that you're really serving? You're not really serving me. You're serving your capacity to do. This is all about your effort. All about your capacities. What you perceive them to be. Will you be willing to trust me with and I'll use the J.R.R. Tolkien language. My precious. <laughs> Will you trust me with the precious? And I, I call it the precious because I don't know what's precious for you. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's about a relationship status. Maybe that's your precious. Maybe it's about a, a financial thing. Maybe it's about your willingness to trust him with your finances. Maybe it's your willingness to trust him about your relational status. Maybe it's your willingness to trust him with your kids. And so you're trying to manage and control. And God's saying, will you trust me there? Will you let me be the Lord of everything? What's your precious? Because when you put your finger there, that's where you begin to describe the true battlefield, the true battleground. Man, in this season, God has been drawing my attention to this third thing. Because Jesus essentially says, look, you want to find victory? Then you need to choose to walk in surrender. Wait, hold it. Victory is through the doorway of surrender? That's right. It's the upside-down kingdom. That's what he's inviting us. He's reorienting us to recognize, look, the pathway in the kingdom way is when you're willing to to, to surrender to the one who actually can bring victory. As long as you're trying to hold on to victory and manage it yourself, you'll never experience it. Oh, excuse me, I need to say that again. As long as you are holding on to your capacity to try and bring victory on your own effort, and not willing to surrender to the one who actually can bring victory, you'll never experience it. Flip it around. Flip it around. The pathway to victory is found in his hands. And if you're holding on to anything else, you can't be holding on to his hands. You know, the Lord uh, has been pressing me at this point. And Nikki, when she started confronting me with lovingly and graciously, as only she can, the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's like if there was a script of my life, it would say the part of the Holy Spirit will be played by. (laughs) And, And she started asking me these questions about Wake. And I'm coming home from these trips, and when I come home from these trips, there's still this, like, administrative stuff that's got to be done, and, and so I, I make it all about these tasks, but the problem is when I come home and I'm now present and trying to reintegrate to what's happening around me, I'm all focused and fixated because why? It's all about this. i got to get the next thing done. i got to do this and this and this. And there was a day that we were, I had said, yes, we were going to hang out with some really good friends, and I, I, I really was looking forward to that time, but I had, it's possible I had over packed my day. Um, It's possible, maybe. 
uh, and I, I said, I'll do some cooking and prepping of vegetables. So I'm in there, and, I, and, and I'm working on all the details to try to get things done. And Nikki just says, hey, did you notice, did you, do you know what time it is? And I looked up at the clock, and all I heard, honestly, what I heard her say was, um, hurry up, you're not moving fast enough. Which to a person who's already at the brink and is, is moving in compulsion and is disintegrating already, not good. And so I just responded, and I'm, I, you know, all over there. I'm like, what are you talking about? I know what I'm doing. Just get away. I've got this stuff to do. I've got all this pressure. I've got to do this and this and this and this. Just give me space. 1.21 gigawatts. And so that was a lightning bolt, by the way. Anyway, uh, so I, I get up from the table, and I go over, and I grab the breadboard. I slam the breadboard down, grab the knife. You've got to be careful with the knife. Um, and the vegetables, and I start chopping the vegetables, and, and the Holy Spirit's like, you know, Nikki was talking about that energy in the room. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why are you talking to me about energy right now, Lord? Can't you see I've got stuff i got to do? He's like, well, why don't you just ask her about the energy? I'm like, I don't need to ask her. You really need me to prove you wrong? Fine. Slam the knife down on the table, and I go out, and I, and I, I, I look out. I'm like, you know, you were asking about this energy thing in, in the room. Is any of that in the air right now? <laughs> I'd love to tell you that I'm making this up. I am not. <laughs> Nikki looks at me and she says, oh yeah. <laughs> I went, really? She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is new information to me. I'm like, this is revelation off the mountain right now. And, and I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. Okay, thanks for that information. I walk back into the kitchen, and I look at the kitchen, and I'm, I look at the task, I look at the clock, I look back over at the stack of stuff that's yet to be done, and all of a sudden, um, I dropped to my knees. And there was a song that was playing and the song that I was, that I was playing in, the, in, my, in, in my headphones um, was, uh, there were two songs that were playing, and, and one of them was basically just declaring, Lord, you're, you're more than enough. You're more than enough. And I was listening to the song and what I was feeling in the moment, and there was such a dissonance between what I was feeling and what was going through my headphones. And, and in that moment, I dropped to my knees and went, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't do all of this. How am I supposed to manage all of that and not have all this energy? I can't do this. And it was as if I could hear majesty lean over and say, finally. He looked at me in my delusion and loved me. Just like the rich young ruler. And I dropped to my knees and I just said, Lord, I give. And he said, son, you're willing to trust me with your finances. And you do that. But are you willing to trust me with all the tasks that are in front of you? Are you willing to say I'm more than enough? To prioritize me and my values in this moment. I put the knife down and I just said, okay, Lord. I give. I give. An amazing thing happened in that moment. None of the tasks changed. It wasn't like the change, the tasks magically disappeared. They were still there. But you know what changed? My perspective. And you can ask Nikki. My attitude radically shifted. There was like a divine encounter in that moment where I shifted all of the stuff and went, Lord, mm. It's yours. You're more than enough. And the next day when I went to sit down to work on those things, you know what happened? It normally takes me like three and a half hours to get through all of that stuff. It was supernaturally done in like an hour. <laughs> worship team, come on up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And while they're coming forward, here, here's where I'm driving towards. I don't know what, what your precious is. I don't know where the, the point of your, your tension is.
But here's what I do know about you. Is that if you're anything like me, there's at least one of them. There's at least one of those areas where you can so easily find yourself gripped and serving it and instead of serving Him and holding on to Him. Places where maybe you're confronted with realities of what's in front of you and overwhelmed by the wave that's about to just land on you. But you're so focused on the wave that you can't see the one who calms the waves. The one who speaks to the storms and says, peace, be still. And see the one who will look at you in the midst of all that you find yourself wrestling with and hear him say, I love you just as you are, just the way you are. Will you be willing to trust me in those places? The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to just kind of close your notes. If you're online, put them aside. I want to just give you an opportunity. I want to give you the same opportunity that the Lord gave me. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as the worship team sings this song, I want to ask you, where is it you find yourself working for your approval? Working for your value? And would you allow the Lord to just simply love you? Would you allow yourself to entertain the possibility that you can be loved just as you are? That God would have reorchestrated all of this for this moment because there's an encounter that he wants to bring to you. As they sing this song, and we come to the phrase, Lord, you're, you're more than enough, would you just do this? Would you simply ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me where do I need to declare you are more than enough? Would you do that as they sing? I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing do to let you down it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud i'll never be more loved than i am right now going through the storm but i won't go down i hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call Circumstance. 
already loved, you're already chosen, and that is enough. He is more than enough. I don't know what you find yourself wrestling with. Maybe it is the destructive patterns of relationship or addiction in your past, but can I speak over you in the name of Jesus? He is more than enough. He is more than enough to change the narrative that has been about your family for generations. He's more than enough. I know because I stand in a family where I get to look back and before my parents on both sides, there is, there is nothing but lots of chaos and, and, and craziness, but now there is a whole new thing happening. Why? Because he's more than enough. He's more than enough. Now I get it. Some of you may be standing here today and saying, okay, yeah, but it says I know who I am and, and I don't know who I am. I don't, I don't have that piece down yet because I, I, I'm still trying to manage it. And that's just it. The Father would simply lean over and say to you, if you're finally at the place where you're willing to say, I can't do it, then you're at the beginning of a whole new realm. If that's you, if you're here and you would say, you know what, Jason, I've, I've yet to say yes to the, I hear what you're saying, but man, I'm, I'm back with you at the sink. I, I don't know how to manage all of this. I can't do this. I don't, I don't know how to, to do all of this, but I want to experience what you're talking about. And you realize maybe for the first time you've never said yes to the person of Jesus. If that's you, man, I want to know who you are. If that's where you're at, would you just be bold enough to just say, yeah, that's me. I'm in that place. I need to settle that issue right now. Yeah, awesome. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, okay. If that's you, I want to invite you to do something. Would you please come down here and meet me? Would you come down? Would you, would you be willing to just do that? I want to pray with you. And ministry teams, I'm going to ask you to come as well. Because we want to pray over you. We want to surround you. Come on, come on down. I know you, you're like, whoa, I don't feel that's a little crazy, but I'm making the first step. I'm coming to you. Would you come join me? I want to pray for you. I want you to tangibly realize you are not alone. Yeah, come on, come on. Come on. All right, ministry teams, I need help. I'm outnumbered, but he's more than enough. And he sees each of you. He sees your hearts. 
And I want to give you the opportunity right now with this team around you. Look around you for a minute. You're not alone. And loved ones out here, extend your hands this way. We're doing church. That's right. This is what it's like. We want to walk with you. And so I want to give you the opportunity to just simply surrender to Jesus. To just say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm not going to give you the words. You declare it right now. Just take a moment and you do business with the Father. You just tell him, Jesus, I yield to you. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for the decision that is being made right now in this place. Lord, right now these folks are simply declaring, God, I can't do it on my own. And Lord, I love the freedom that I know is coming when we turn to you. So Lord, we ask right now, supernaturally, Lord, that you would pour your spirit upon these. God, we pray that you would not only pour your spirit into them, Lord, but through them, Lord, that you would root and establish them. Lord, that there would be new relationships that would be formed, not just with you, Lord, but with the people around them. God, you've called us to not just walk with you, but to walk in community with you. So Lord, I pray over the seeds that are planted in their hearts right now. Jesus, we ask that you would bring 30, 60, 100-fold fruit through what you're doing right now in this moment. And Lord, we declare your sufficiency over them and over every situation represented in this room. Lord, for all of us, there are points at which we are saying, God, you are more than enough. You're more than enough for my marriage. You're more than enough for my kids. You're more than enough for the finances. You're more than enough for the unemployment. You're more than enough for the cancer. You're more than enough for every place of physical and spiritual and emotional infirmity. God, we thank you that you are more than enough. And Lord, we simply give you praise and thanks to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. So guys, gals, these folks that are here, they are here for you. And they have some things they want to connect with you for so that they can pray for you beyond just this moment. This is a great moment. And believe me, God works powerfully in these moments. But this moment needs to be reinforced by others because that's what we're called to walk to. So these folks are going uh, are gonna, to, am I giving that instruction right? These folks, uh, Pastor Arlen's going to direct you over to this, this direction, and they've got some things they want to direct you with. Would you follow uh, uh, Bob, and, and would you walk with them? For all of us that are here today, I want to pray. Yeah, give them a hand. That's incredibly brave what they just did. Yeah. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh, hallelujah. That is so good. Yes. Mm. That's awesome. (laughs) Here's the beauty of what God wants to do in this moment for all of us, that he's drawing us to a place of declaring he's more than enough. Can I invite you? Could I invite you as you leave this place to simply declare, God, you're more than enough. As we walk into the Monday morning realities, may we be singing, God, you're more than enough. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Go with God. He's going to go with you.